We'll be in Philippians chapter 1 tonight. Philippians chapter 1. Let's continue our series through this letter to the church in Philippi. Amen. We're going to begin by reading the same verses we did last week. We'll read verses 12 through 20. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Seed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, and that the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. Well, over the last several weeks, we have maybe just two weeks, maybe a couple weeks, we have considered verses 12 through 14. This church had been so supportive of Paul and his ministry financially and also prayerfully, and he wants them to know how despite his current circumstances, the gospel is still being furthered. That's just amazing. This is a mature Christian, amen? He is in prison for his faith, and yet he's saying, you know what? I'm just rejoicing that the gospel is going forth. And all of Caesar's palace was hearing the gospel. This would have included those portions of the judicial and military arena that were directly connected to Nero, who was a very wicked man and hated Christians. And as Paul closes his letters, uh, remember we looked last week, he states in Philippians 4.22, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. And I just find it amazing how God works that He imprisoned Paul to infiltrate such a wicked stronghold with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Circumstances didn't deter Paul from declaring the gospel. We'll see in chapter 4 how Paul had learned to be content no matter his state in life. He learned how to live whether he abounded or whether he didn't. Whatever his state in life was, he was happy. And if he was suffering need, he knew how to live. If he abounded, he knew how to live. And we all want to live abounding, amen? (laughs) But he knew how to live even when he was suffering need. And he follows that up with this. And we quote this verse a lot, but we usually quote it out of context, to be honest with you. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he was saying, whatever state I'm in, I know I can do all things uh, through Christ. And so... Uh, we see here that circumstances in life are not to be the bar for how we serve the Lord. So if you'll, if you'll allow me, I'm going to do a quasi-recap with some further preaching before we get to new stuff. That's not what we determine our service of the Lord upon. But many have this idea that if I can get this over here just where I want it, and if I can get this over there situated all nice and neat, 
then once everything looks just right, I'll be ready to serve God. And what's interesting is, is we end up exerting a lot of our energy and resources and improving our circumstances, thinking we're finally going to arrive to this perfect situation where we will finally be able to give ourselves to the furtherance of the gospel. And I know this is true because when I was active duty, I would witness to people who would say things like, I'm just not ready yet, I want to do this, this, and that. And they wouldn't give themselves to the service of the Lord because they were too concerned with what they wanted to get out of life. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't work hard in bettering ourselves, but I am saying don't sacrifice the, further of, the furtherance of the gospel in the process. I did work hard to better myself in life, and God blessed that, but I did so with the hope to be able to minister more effectively. That was the primary reason I sought my commission in the military. I, I wanted to better provide for my family. And, and at the time, I really did think that God was going to call me to a small town in South Dakota. And they can't support preachers like you can. And I thought for sure that's where we'd end up. And so I worked to that end where I could, effect, I could effectively minister and not have them have the burden to try to take care of me and... And I'm simply saying our, our circumstances in life are not to dictate our service to God. Even when I was on active military service, I was able to uh, go to college, teach the teens on Wednesday nights, teach the young adults in Sunday school, uh, preach at the jail on Fridays, fill in for pastors in the local area, and all the while being a husband and father. You can do it. It's just what you deem a priority. Now I have a wife who is truly a help me, and I mean that. And her sacrifices allowed me to further the gospel no matter my circumstance in life. And we just made it work. Amen. Just keep the main thing the main thing. And I'm not sure we would have put it in those words back then, but we were just staying active in church. Just staying active, serving God along the way. I'll never forget, Kevin Byer told me years ago, missionary out of our church to Australia, Man, I was so concerned what God was going to do with my life. And I had just arrived here. And I, and I knew God had something for me ministry-wise. And I, I was just so concerned about that. And he came over for supper. We invited him over. Amen. He just didn't show up. But uh, he came over for supper. And, and, he, and he looked at me. And he lovingly but firmly said, You know what your problem is, Gary? <laughs> Don't you love hearing that? I said, No. He said, you're too concerned about the will of God 20 years from now. Just do the will of God today. Amen. And then when you look back in 20 years, you realize you were in the will of God the whole time. Amen. And then he dropped the microphone and walked away. <laughs> I think I was sharing this story with Breck, and it was one of those conversations that I'm sure I have heard many times in my life, but well, for whatever reason, when he said it, it stuck. And I realized, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. And so just stay active is what I'm saying. You just find ways to make it work. Well, you know, I can't because I've worked all day and I'm tired. That's why a lot of people aren't here tonight. And, and listen, I'm not, I know we're all growing at different stages. And I'm not knocking all that. But, um, you know, I, I just worked all day. I'm tired. i got to get home to the kids, the house, and blah, 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 whatever you want to throw in there. All these things that are pressing upon our life. But, you know, I can look back now and I can remember when... You remember when Kaylee and Sydney were barely able to even 
do anything. And we would set up that playpen in the press, and they would sit on that concrete floor and play and just keep them in that little contained area. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, if you remember, during our 40th anniversary celebration, I showed that video of our history, and there was that picture of, of Madison and Cassidy and Kaylee. They were in that shredded paper binder there at the press. Uh, you just make it work is what I'm saying. You just, you just go. And, and so they were quarantined before quarantine was cool. Maybe we can make that into a country song. I was quarantined when quarantine wasn't cool, amen. But anyway, uh, you're not supposed to know that I know worldly music. But, um, and so they would play, and, and, and the moms would collate the John and Romans, and, and me and Ken would, would staple and trim, along with other people, of course. But um, you, just, you just do it, and that's just how we did it back then. And uh, it seemed like we had several military families at the time that were all serving, and, and I heard the ends coming up for ladies' retreat. How exciting is that for those who remember the stickers? And, um, and then as they, grow, they grew older, I remember they would run around outside at the press, and you could hear them out there laughing and carrying on, uh, running around the property there. And um, in retrospect, I think we had some really great memories um, out there at the press. And now we have pictures of Levi at a young age biting that lower lip <laughs> as he collates. And, um, but you know what? There's, there's some other things I'm thankful for as I, as I thought about this, and I really got off track, and I know I, I, know I am, but just bear with me. I, I, I'm glad now that I have memories on Saturday mornings at men's prayer, just bowing with my boys in prayer. How, how precious is that? I'm glad we have those memories. Listen, you're not going to regret those kind of memories. You just won't regret them. Um, and I can tell you on that note, my fondest memories with my dad growing up is when we would drive home together from church and um, he preached an hour away from the house or so and we would have that whole time just to fellowship and talk Bible and life. and um, We did a lot of stuff together, but those are my fondest memories. It was surrounding the church. And, um, and, and listen, just, just do it. Don't, don't make excuses on why you can't. No, don't let your circumstance always be the reason why you can't. But man, we hear it so often, these excuses about, I, I just can't. No, you can. You can. Just serve the Lord no matter your circumstances. It would have been real easy to make excuses as to why we couldn't be active in those days when for about seven years Adrian was pregnant or nursing. Uh, seven years straight, amen. She enjoyed those times. <laughs> um, but God always gave strength, and He still does today. And I want to tell you, it's just a blessing to be used by God. Would you let that sink in, that the Creator would reach down and pick you to work in His kingdom? That's for all of God's... But you just have to be willing to do it. What a blessing. And like I said, now I thank God for those memories. So by all means, make the best of your circumstances. I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's stuck under house arrest, and yet he's making the best of it. He's reaching people for Christ. He's furthering the gospel, and he's letting the will of God be worked out in his life. And I would tell you, better yourself if you can. Amen. I don't think God has a problem with that. But understand, promotion is of the Lord. But better yourself in life if you can and, and do those things. But don't forsake God's will for your life and God using you to further the gospel along the way. Um, I don't want any to, here to look back and regret that you didn't serve God when you had strength to do so. Because there's coming a time when our bodies are going to break down. 
And we're going to wish we had the mental capacity. We're going to wish we had the physical capacity. We're going to wish we could drive at night. We're going to, I mean, all these things. And um, don't waste this time that you have to serve God while you still have the ability to do so with strength. So don't let circumstances sidetrack you. Uh, keep furthering the gospel. Make Christ known. Serve God. We also saw in verse 14 how Paul's faithful service, no matter his circumstances, were emboldening others to share the gospel. The Bible says they were speaking the word of God without fear. People began to realize if Paul can do it, so can I. You realize Paul was just flesh and blood like you and I. He had 24 in the, uh, hours in the day too. I mean, I know we like to elevate these guys to superhuman status, but he was a sinner saved by grace. And so, when we serve God, what we see here is it can be infectious. Once people get behind a vision and they start working toward the same goal, it'll build in momentum as others begin to serve those who are, uh, observe those who are faithfully serving. And as you watch that, it begins to build in momentum in a church. I mentioned last week how verses 13 and 14 really fit our theme for this year. Fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. What did Paul do in his circumstance? He filled his area with God's doctrine. He didn't let the circumstance dictate him filling Jerusalem with doctrine. I know he was in Rome, but you get my point. And so we, we can't let circumstances tell us, well, we just can't go out and we can't hand out the church cards and we can't invite people and we can't do these things. Uh, Paul did, and he was arrested. Ha! All right, try not to preach, amen. He filled Caesar's palace or his praetorium with the doctrine of salvation. And it made an impact on others and then they got busy doing the same thing. You see, when a church is unified and they get busy for God, then those who otherwise may not be involved say, wait a minute, I can get involved too. I think that's what made a difference uh, our first time around here when we had so many folks uh, from the base that were, were involved, and, and we have people involved now. I'm not saying they're not, but I just remember those, those memories. And so, uh, listen, we have to catch the vision. Sometimes people, they see these bigger churches, and, and I thank God for those churches, and I would be happy if God allowed us to reach more people. But we look at those bigger churches and we see them reaching the amount of people that they are every week. And we conclude, well, if we had that many people, we would be able to reach more people as well. <laughs> but what you don't realize is that church was 12 people about 20 years ago. But they just stayed with it. Those 12 people got busy. They reached some and then those that they reached got busy and they reached some. And then next thing you know, you've got this movement. You've got people that are working together 20 years later, filling their city with God's doctrine. Isn't that what God did with the 12 in the first century? They just got busy. They saw the resurrected Lord and that motivated them and, and they got busy doing the work of God. They reached some more and they reached some more. Then some 20 years down the road, we find Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. And they're preaching the Word of God. The city, the Jews of that city were stirring up an uproar against them. And the, they can't find Paul and Silas, so they go to Jason's house and, and they harass him and they bring him out and they take him before the rulers and they say, 
These are the men that have turned the world upside down. If I've got my dates remotely correct, and I didn't spend a lot of time nailing that down, you're talking only about 20 years down the road. And over 900 miles as of crow flies from Jerusalem to Thessalonica in a time when you didn't have modern conveyances, the Word of God had spread with such impact and such force that they were able to say, they're turning the world upside down. In fact, they said they have turned the world upside down. And it all started with 12 people. Wow. All the way back there 20 years earlier in in Acts chapter 5, they had threatened them in chapter 4, don't preach in Jesus' name. Well, they go and preach in Jesus' name. Then in Acts chapter 5, they... The, the angry religious Jews bring them before the council and the council says, you, you know, you're filling Jerusalem with your doctrine. God sent persecution and scattered those who had been filled with this doctrine. And then we find this amazing statement in Acts 17. They've turned the world upside down. And it all started because a small group of people got busy. So I don't like to hear that we can't. We got more than 12 Amen. I think it'd be awesome if we would just fill our Jerusalem with our doctrine and maybe in 20 years from now, we can look back and say, man, we've turned Rapid City upside down. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, preacher, it's the the last days and the Bible says it's going to wax worse and worse. It ain't worse now than it was in the first century. Let's just serve God. And it'll become infectious to the point others become involved And the next thing you know, we have a whole church striving together for the same goal. Amen. Now, when I set out to study this tonight, I didn't mean to spend all this time on the longest recap in church history. But you're welcome. So for tonight, let's move on to some new thoughts. Verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So remember in verse 14, Paul stated, the brethren wax confident because of his bonds. And as a result, they were much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. And now... Paul is explaining how they were preaching the Word of God without fear. He explains how some were preaching Christ out of envy and strife, and some out of goodwill. Now, Paul never tolerated false doctrine being preached. We see that in the book of Galatians. He wrote in Galatians 1.8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul referred to those in Galatia who were adding to Christ's finished work upon the cross as false brethren who were seeking to bring the people under bondage or into bondage again. And I make mention of that fact in Galatians because Paul never backed down from calling out false teachers and false doctrines. But we don't see that kind of rebuke here in Philippians. It's my personal opinion, you can take it for what it's worth, that those who are preaching Christ 
even those who were preaching out of envy and strife were still preaching a correct gospel doctrinally. They were still preaching the right way of salvation. They just didn't have the right motive. Paul said some preach out of envy and strife. And he says in verse 16 of that group that they were preaching out of contention, hoping to add to Paul's affliction. Well, that was nice of them. Now get this, these men were actually preaching Christ because they were envious of Paul. They were jealous. That just blows my mind. Paul's locked up. What are you so jealous of? Well, what they were jealous of is this man shows up being arrested in Jerusalem. He shows up in Rome. He didn't start the church in Rome. The church is already going. He shows up in Rome, and now all the talk in town's about Paul. They didn't like that, these ones that were envious. How come he's getting all the attention? And so they were becoming envious of the fact that Paul was getting more attention than them. They were envious of his popularity, and I think we could say, in understanding how I mean the word, but they were envious of his success. They wanted people talking about them. We see this in churches today. And so while they were preaching Christ, their motives were wrong. And they wanted the attention. Not only were they preaching out of envy, but they were preaching out of strife. Did you know some people just like to argue? And that's how they preach. They just argue. They love to quarrel. And so some people, they're preaching because... Man, I just want to argue with somebody. You know, my wife's tired of it and she don't talk to me anymore, so uh, I reckon I'll just go out there and preach to somebody who wants to argue. They were preaching out of contention. Or they were preaching believing that they were rivals against Paul. Like there was this rivalry going on on who could be the best. They preach feeling like they have something to prove. That they have to garner a following to justify their self-proclaimed calling to be a preacher of the gospel. And so we see that they wanted notoriety. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be some great debater. They wanted a following to show that they were just as good as Paul. And now imagine, imagine that some of these men were preaching. They were preaching in hopes of adding affliction to Paul who's already imprisoned. What kind of motivation is that? They wanted him to feel worse. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I jotted down three possibilities. It, it could be they thought they're preaching by their preaching openly and not being arrested that it might show Paul was not in bonds for preaching Christ. Perhaps they felt preaching Christ, it would make the city more contemptible toward Christians and perhaps this would be taken out against Paul. That kind of seems less likely. Possibility though, or, and, and it could be they felt Paul had similar motives of vain glory as they had, and that if they were out there gathering some sort of a following, that somehow it would make Paul envious of them. I don't know. I would like opinions on all that, and there's some good ones out there. But um, we, we see that they had wrong motives nonetheless. And you know what happens? When God begins to work, people with bad attitudes and bad spirits show up. When God begins a work, sometimes when the revival fires burn, 
the people on the fringes, they catch a little bit of fire. They want to be part of the group, but they're not. They want to come alongside that. I remember um, recently there was a what they called a revival. We can debate that later um, in Tennessee, or excuse me, North Carolina, and uh, about four years ago. And there were people beginning to show up trying to connect themselves to that movement that had nothing to do with what started the revival. And we see that. And, and these guys, they're, they're becoming influenced. They're trying to attach themselves to something. And um, these, these were people who claimed to be from within the same church. I say claim because maybe they weren't really saved. I don't know. But um, unfortunately, more often than not, our greatest challenges will come from within. Amen. And we find this principle in the Bible. And listen, the world's not standing outside picketing us. They didn't care that we showed up tonight. But you get a couple cantankerous church folks. And, and listen, the, the churches today are filled with such craziness. It feels like we're fighting against churches. I'll talk more about that next week because that's not where our fight is. But um, anyway, and so... Uh, we'll see battles from within. These men in Rome are actually trying to cause division amongst the brethren in Rome. And I would imagine it worked to some extent. And so what we find is not all preachers have the same motives. Not all Christians have the same motives. Not all servants have the same motives. Most of us have seen examples of this kind of thing in our Christian life, if you have you know, observed it at all. Um, those who are preaching the Word of God and you, you just sense something isn't quite right. And you can't put your finger on it right away, but you know, I don't think this guy's even called to preach. You ever been in that kind of environment? You sit through it nonetheless because you're respectful, <laughs> like you're doing tonight, amen. But uh, we, we've seen this kind of thing, and today we find all manner of people claiming to be called to preach. We're in such a mess today. We have pulpits filled with people that are so blatantly in, in rebellion to God's Word. It's insanity what's going on. What's their motive? Well, it was this, it's the same as it was in Paul's day. It's envy, it's strife, it's contention. Some are preaching because they are envious of another's popularity. They see their platform that they have. They begin to covet that kind of success. And if you've observed so-called Christianity over the years, then you have seen how this has taken place. Some famous church and preacher make a particular move. And then others see that as the reason for their growth, and they begin to mimic what another church has done. I've seen this a lot in my lifetime. I don't remember this much when I was a kid, but you see it a lot now. Some church got the idea that, you know what, we're going to be a husband and wife team in the pastorate. That's a lot of the mega churches today. And so everybody thinks, well, we need to mimic that. And so Pastor Adrian We'll get up here Sunday nights to preach from now on. Um, and you begin to mimic those things because we're trying to have success rather than really God's hand upon us. Um, and so it's all out of jealousy. We have preachers who are full of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. They shouldn't even be in leadership at all. And all they wanted was publicity and monetary gain. And because some find it, many try it. Boy, if I could just hit it right with this book, this might be the book. Well, I've seen the same thing in our stripe of churches. 
Churches try to model themselves after another church. Preachers try to model themselves after another preacher. It's all out of envy. This is why we have our little camps that we run in, in our circles. And you're not welcome in my little camp over here because you didn't have any connection to my seminary. That's a good point, but I'm connected to the local church. Does that count? No. So I love blowing their mind when they say, where'd you go to, where'd you go to school? Well, I say I'm local church trained, and they're just like, well, I'm pro-local church, so I can't knock that. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. You ought to see their face. How do I process this turn of events? And well played. You know, some today are preaching because they love strife. This is especially true in our stripes. We independent Baptists have perfected preaching out of strife. I mean, listen, there's, there's churches I could tell you right now, if you'll go watch their YouTube channel, what you're going to find week in and week out is the pastor tearing down another preacher in another church. And that's their platform. They just want to argue with people. They just want to talk about how bad that guy is and how bad that church is. and I, I just don't understand that. But that's their motive. That's why they're preaching. They believe God has called them into the ministry for the main purpose of tearing people down. Isn't that fun to be around? I hate it personally. Now, I don't mean speaking against doctrinal impurity, so don't misunderstand me. But I mean when we get up and rail against a pastor or a church because they don't have a bus ministry. They must not be right with God. They don't run a bus ministry. I mean, this, this is stuff I've heard. You know what's wrong with that church? They have more instruments than just a piano. I think I saw they had those kettle drums up in the orchestra. That's not very godly. Preaching out of strife. What are we arguing about? The fact that they have a nice orchestra? Is everybody with me? Well, you know, that preacher, he drives a nice car. He must have compromised somewhere. You know, that church, I was at that church, and you know what they did? They dimmed the lights when the began to sing. Devil! Now, I got to tell you, this church I went to this conference at, they dimmed the lights before the choir. It was awesome. I loved it. Because everybody shut up. A room of 750 people, and as soon as you do that, everybody's like, what? Anyway, there's all kind of nonsense that goes on. Yes, I'm still going to preach the need for holiness. Yes, I'm still going to preach from the King James. Yes, we're going to keep singing hymns. Yes, I'm going to stay with sound doctrine. And yes, I'll still preach these issues as the text demands it when we land upon it. But you've heard me say many times before, my fight isn't with the church down the road. Some churches seem to exist for the sole purpose of tearing down other churches and other preachers. And all they ever seem to know is what they're against. What are you for? I don't know, but I know what we're against. I know that standard isn't right. What's your standard? I don't know, but that ain't right. Some today, they preach out of contention. They're all about factions. They believe that they're rivals of others. Other churches, other preachers, other servants. They want to come in and gain a bigger following than the church down the street. Like they have something to prove. I've seen this in churches of our stripe. We're going to come up to Rapid City and we're going to take it by storm. Because nobody else there has ever tried to reach a soul for Christ. Oh, there's something I want to say right there so bad and I can't. It's gotten so bad in churches 
which are only church by name, that they now exist for so-called social justice. You seen these kind of churches? Their whole point is just to prove that a lesbian can be in the pulpit and preach and that God will bless it and give them a following. And you can pick the sin, the sin of the, of the preacher, but it's like if I can just do this, I know it's out of bound of God's Word, but, but we also know God's Word is really antiquated and it's outdated. And so if I can do this contrary to what the Word of God says, we're going to prove that God's behind my lifestyle. Some nut just got on CNN the other day and he was talking about how God never intended marriage to be between one man and one woman. Anyway, I'll get off track there. It's craziness. What's the solution? Well, obviously, first we have to return to the true Word of God. But next we see, uh, we, we need to see a return to the attitude of John the Baptist. How many of you remember in John 3.26, they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, speaking of Jesus, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptized, and then all men come to him. They're coming to John and saying, hey, you know what, John? Um, he's getting a lot more followers than you are, and your followers are starting to defect to him. What do you think about that, John? You know how John responded? He must increase. And I must decrease. John understood it was all about Christ. President Truman said, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. When we care who gets the credit, the lost are the ones who suffer because we can't get focused on the main thing. We're too busy squabbling among ourselves rather than reaching the lost. But look at verse 17 here as I try to wrap this up. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. There were those who at the end of verse 15 we see they were preaching Christ out of goodwill. And I thank God for the faithful remnant. Listen, don't serve God out of wrong motives tonight, but serve God sincerely. Paul knew some were just being contentious. Their aim was to hurt Paul. They wanted to add to his afflictions. And he also at the same time though, he saw those that were preaching out of goodwill and they just wanted to be an encouragement to Paul. They were seeing people come into faith, and this was encouraging Paul. They were preaching with the same motive and the same heart, and they understood that Paul was set for the defense of the gospel. And so they're not seeking to do Paul harm. Their goal was just to see people come to know Jesus. And they shared Paul's heart and his vision on this calling in life. And they went out preaching with that same earnest. And so there are two groups. Listen now, then we're going to bring this to a close here in just a minute. There were two groups in the same church in Rome. Some wanted the glory, while others just wanted to serve God faithfully and be an encouragement to Paul. And, and knowing I'm not going to be able to finish this tonight, let me, just, let me just challenge you tonight. Be an encouragement to somebody. Don't be in the camp that just wants glory and envy and strife and contention. Just find somebody and be an encouragement to them. Encourage the saints. Serve God with the right spirit. And the right motives. Let's serve God out of unity and goodwill and love. This is not a rebuke, but when's the last time you went up to a bus worker? and just said, thank you for picking these kids up. Man, I love seeing these kids running around. Thank you for being faithful to run the buses. There's two men right there that drive them. Tell them afterwards. Boy, we're so thankful that you do this. Their wives are part of that. we got some teen boys a part of that. 
We got ladies who cook meals between service or before them. I mean, are we thanking these? Are we, are we encouraging them? Go up to a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a peewee teacher. Tell them, I'm so excited you're teaching this class. You're a great job. Can you hear them downstairs? Praise God. Maybe go up to someone who's nervous about handing out our church invitations. Just tell them, you know what, I'd be happy to go along with you. We can hand some of these out together. Just encourage people to serve. Maybe you notice somebody picks up some of those cards out there to take home. Just encourage them. Man, thank you for handing those out. Thank you for being faithful. I'm so thankful that you're taking the time. Encourage our choir. Be an encouragement to those that are serving. Be an encouragement to our staff. Be an encouragement to our youth. Boy, do our youth need to be encouraged to just stay with it. By the truth. Encourage others to get involved with you. Just encourage someone. I hate when I start naming names because somebody's going to get offended. But if you get offended, then you're serving out of the wrong motive and bam. (laughs) Hey, you're doing a great job holding that door open for everybody. Uh, You say, you're just being ridiculous now. Am I? Because the psalm says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Grandpa Wells, you did a great job handing out the prayer sheets tonight. I mean, when's the last time we've, we've been encouraging to people? We just kind of get used to our routine. And again, I'm not rebuking. I'm just asking. You see someone shoveling snow, encourage them. Someone takes out the trash, encourage them. Especially if it's the nursery trash. Someone cleans up a mess, encourage them. Some of these in Paul's day, they wanted to see people saved. They wanted to be an encouragement to Paul in the process. And we need to be a church who wants to see people saved and encourage others along the way. Both groups were accomplishing getting the gospel out, but only one group is going to be rewarded by God for having the right spirit. What kind of church are we going to be? So let's get rid of any envy we may have, strife, contention. Let's work for the glory of God, encouraging others along the way. We'll have to finish this up next time. Let's pray.